Boss Uncaged is a weekly podcast that releases the origin stories of business owners and entrepreneurs as they become uncaged trailblazers. In each episode, our hosts, S.A. Grant and guests construct narrative accounts of their collective business journeys and growth strategies. Learn key success habits and how to stay motivated through failure, all while developing a boss uncaged mindset. Break out of your cage and welcome our host, S.A. Grant. Welcome, welcome back to Boss Uncaged Podcast. So today's episode is going to be a highly interesting episode. I'm going to treat the episode like like we're going to do it like a Hollywood movie. First, we're going to tease you and we're going to give you some insight. You're going to be like, holy shit, wow. And then we're going to cut it. And then we're going to time travel back, right? So, you know, I always deem whoever I'm interviewing a particular name. So I'm going to deem this particular boss, the nine-figure boss. I could have named them many other things, but the nine-figure boss just seems to be well-suited for the conversation we're about to have. (laughs) So, Alex, why don't you tell the audience a little bit more about who you are? So, yeah. So I'm Alex. I founded a business called Content Cal here in the UK. Um, I've been in the social media marketing, kind of content marketing game for uh, 10 plus years scary to say that already um i have worked in different corporate businesses running social media and content etc just with different campaigns and different stuff like that in the uk um i then started a social media and content marketing agency over here working with clients of all shapes and sizes from like really big businesses right the way through to like micro smes and stuff like that building out facebook ads building out websites building out social media campaigns etc for those different brands growing their presence etc trying to trying to draw up business for them or grow awareness or whatever it might be and then uh and then founded content cal and really that was like a culmination of all the learnings of working at these really big corporates to have this crazy process for managing social media and content marketing with lots of approval flows and all that exciting stuff and um, but also working with like i said very small businesses to have the same process but just on a micro level um, and built content cal to kind of solve all the challenges that those um different businesses different people have and like building a great online presence which is just so important nowadays obviously to growing a business growing a personal brand whatever it might be so um Yes, scaled content cal uh, over a sort of a five-year journey from 2016 until last year when we were acquired by Adobe. So it's been a been a wild ride. But based in London, UK, love traveling, and uh, yeah, like I said, been in the sort of the social media content marketing game for ten plus years and still learning. So uh, if you were listening, right, the, the, the listener, I want you to see how, how nonchalantly he just said, "Yeah, we just did this for five years. We just got acquired by Adobe, and yeah, I like food and I, I like traveling." And he just kind of, boop, that that was the cut of the movie, right? Now we're gonna rewind that back a little bit, right? <laughs> so, like, let's just talk about. I really want to dive into like this journey a little bit. I want to go back as far as you can remember, like before mm. you got to the point to where you delivered this nine-figure evaluation and actually got purchased by Adobe. Like growing up as a kid like what kind of kid were you uh oh wow okay um pretty entrepreneurial it's the typical story right always had this fascination with trying to build something to sell it and that doesn't mean like build something obviously like a tech product when you're a kid and stuff like that but just getting your head around the concept of what do people place value on like what does what interests people to actually not necessarily necessarily just part with their money but like what's the psychology behind it etc and for whatever reason that fascinated me a lot as a as a kid um you know, really interested in business, the concept of business, just loved doing things as team activities as well. Not massively into sport, weirdly, but like anything related to like having to work with other people to get stuff done. That could literally be like as simple as playing in the playground, like team dynamic type stuff, rather right through to when you're a teenager and things like that. And you're trying to figure out where you sit in the social circles of life. Um, but really like was fascinated with the psychology of all that kind of stuff. And in terms of studies and things, I would say I was like just 
I'll say above average, but nothing special, if that made sense. Like I have a really good memory. And so I could cram a lot of stuff in really short term and then almost like regurgitate it for exams and stuff like that. So I always did okay, but like never had to, um, never had to study too hard to just do okay and kind of get by. So I, I, I suppose one theme that's always linked through to me, through to business as well as an adult is like, do the minimal amount for the maximum impact. And I think, again, whether I was studying, whether I was learning like X, Y, and Z theme for school or whatever it might be, and like I said, I've carried it right the way through to business. Like, what is the minimal work we can physically do? Doesn't mean to say we're trying to cut corners or anything like that, but what is the minimal effort we have to actually actually put into something, but to get the absolute maximum like output? And that typically finds like that reinforces like just getting stuff done. And I think, I think for me, like again, in my work career, getting stuff done has always been like the most important thing, momentum, keeping things moving, continually learning, but always delivering some form of value. So whether that's like delivering for a client when I was running my agency or delivering like product value for like our software customers as well. So yeah, there's lots of threads obviously within all that stuff, but like as a school kid, I was always fascinated from the age of sort of 12 upwards, especially when you get into teenagers, like with business and the dynamic of business. I think I think it's definitely interesting that, that, that you're defining it that way, because I mean, I, I listened to a podcast with you and you were talking about the difference between a founder and a CEO. And it, like you're kind of mm. hinting at that a little bit. So let, let's just talk about it a little bit. I mean, for most CEOs and most founders and most executives, they don't think their day to day jobs are are the routine of running the company or maybe mm-hmm. managing the team. But you have a distinct linear difference between the two. Do you mind um, talking about that? Yeah. So like. I'll give you like a pure example. Like you can hire a CEO, but you can't hire a founder. I think that's one like clear delineation I make in my head. Um, a founder is someone who has this like burning energy to solve a problem of some sort. And it's typically something that they've gone through themselves. So for me, like managing lots of complex social media campaigns, creating a software platform to automate as much of that as possible and then scale it, et cetera, to me made lots of sense. Because I'd gone through all this pain of like, oh my God, I'm using spreadsheets and then having to use this platform and then this platform, et cetera, to get my stuff done. I think if you're a founder in any space, like you have this itch to solve a real problem. And like I said, it's typically something you've experienced. I also think the mentality of a founder then ties into like whatever it takes, like fun- fundamentally, like whatever it takes to achieve my goal, I will basically go ahead with it as long as it's not illegal or anything weird like that. But like, I will absolutely like, break down barriers, I will build relationships, I will work all the hours of the day, et cetera, um, to really, really get something done. And then I think you also have this, like, it's really hard to describe this, um, it's almost like an energy, basically. Like when you've got the passion as a founder for your business, what you're trying to solve, it comes out in conversation, it comes out when you meet people, when someone gets you on that subject, like you can talk forever about it. And 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 literally you can, when I meet founders like now, you can literally vibe of someone's passion going, I want to work with you or I want to back you because I can literally feel how much this means to you. And I think that's something that you can't box up a magic and then put into like a role on the flip side, like a CEO, right? So like a CEO, there's a job title for a CEO. There's normally a job description that goes along with it. Like there are genuine, like actual things as a CEO of a business you, you must do from different things, whether that's like legal duties or whether that's judiciary duties, et cetera, that you have to do. I also think like your role as a CEO, between a founder CEO, the difference is it's like CEO, you are very operational in my head. Like you are there to drum the beat of the week. You are there to make sure meetings happen. You are there to make sure the team is motivated. You are there to do reviews, make sure that that role is like really all encompassing to make sure the business is running fundamentally really, really well. And obviously a founder, the founder needs to do that too, but it happens in a different way. And founders can sometimes end up in like chief product officer roles or chief people roles or something like that. But founder CEO is not necessarily always the way to do it. Um, 
So I see them the two as very different things. And then when you get your head around that psychologically as an individual, then you can put different hats on when you need to. So sometimes you need to put like your entrepreneurial founder hat to motivate the team and get stuff done. And sometimes you need to put your CEO hat on and make a decision that you wouldn't make as a founder. Um, so there's loads of different differences, but it's interesting picked up on that because it is a quirk that I, I think about a lot. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I'm just hearing you define it and, and it, you sound like like a university professor. So I want to like, okay, when you were in university, you took international business management. Are you getting this from that or is this more so real world experience and a combination of that? It's a combination. I wouldn't say um, if you go back to like you said where I studied, that gave me a great foundation actually. Like people always take a like take a like just basically laugh when you say you did an international or business management study thing here in the UK. It's seen as like a, a kind of degree you do just as a catch-all. Whereas I was like, I want to go into business if I can learn the fundamentals of business at this level. And I did it before in different studies as well at school and stuff. Like I have this real foundation of experience of different lingos and language and just thought processes I can take into the real world of, of work. Um, I like absorb and consume and like massively retain content. So beyond university, I have read so much around different people, different experiences, be that, you know, I don't know, let's take like Martin Sorrell of WPP or Steve Jobs of Apple, you know, all the different types of like leaders that you see of all different shapes and sizes across different businesses. And even like mentors that I've met on a day-to-day basis that are running businesses that, you know, in the multi-millions, but you would never have heard of and just absorb as much as I can about, how they run their businesses, what their experiences are, even if they're like random stories that I have nothing to attach to. Because then I can take all these like fundamental things and start to map in my head, okay, what was like different experiences that everyone seems to have been through? And I'm going through myself now and I can take a learning from this video I watched or this book I read or this blog I read, et cetera. So like the university professor thinks quite funny because someone else said that to me, like I absorb so much and then try and think really actively about how I can apply that to my daily life and my experiences, particularly in business. Um, because one of my big things is like, everything's already happened. You know, there's nothing new in business that someone hasn't been through somewhere on this planet. You know, So if you can find a mentor or, or like I said, a blog or something to help you through a particular experience or a challenge you're going through at work, there's almost always like a case study to try and refer to. So I always try and remember that as I'm going through day-to-day life. <clears throat> so, I mean, I'm happy you brought up the word case study. So I'm looking at you as, as, a, as a case study for like the entrepreneurial journey. Like many people become entrepreneurs, many people fail at entrepreneurs, but you got to the level to where you had an exit. You Obviously, you had an exit strategy going into it. You pulled mm. out the nine figures. So if you could define yourself in just three to five words, what would those three to five words be? Um, very, very driven. Like, I think when I'm focused on something, it is just like laser focus, almost to the detriment of like everything else in my life. It's almost like that, basically. So really, really driven. And when I get into that zone, it's very, very hard to take me out of it kind of thing. And I think you go through cycles of that through business, but I think very, very driven is one. Um, I think I place huge value on personal relationships. Um, one of the compliments I often get from people I know, people who know me are like, you managed to keep in touch with so many different people from so many different walks of life. And I just really value like my conversations with people. Some people I've met like several times over and they've become really good friends. Some people I've only met once or twice, but I'm still happy to go and get grab a coffee with them. You know, if we've had a really good conversation that one or two times just to keep in touch with them. So like, you never know where those things can, can go, right? So like, I always think of meeting people as like, you could get three more introductions off that person or you could have five experiences through meeting that person that you wouldn't have if you didn't make the effort. So I really like value personal experiences. And then I think um, the last one would be like very curious. Like I, like I said, absorb knowledge and try and absorb stuff in general as much as physically possible. Um, there's some some of my books here, but like I've got a gazillion books around the house. I've now got like 50 audio books on my phone. I'm trying to get through like 
I just love learning stuff. And then, like I said, it just helps me as I go through life, whether it's a work thing, whether it's a personal thing, reflect on some form of learning or something I've listened to on a podcast or something like that. I'm like, okay, I can resonate with what I'm going through with what this person went through. And these are the five different ways, the five different people or the five different ways of what I've read or whatever it might be, how to deal with that. And can I borrow something from that? Can I learn from it? So finding shortcuts, I suppose, is kind of mental modeling for that, I guess. Very nice, very nice. So, I mean, that, that, that's, that's an interesting philosophy because that leads me to like my next question, right? I mean, obviously, when you walk into the room, and I'm not saying that you're saying this, but just by listening to you, you're probably one of the smartest people that walk into the room. Right? It's why <laughs> you, you, you get you get the evaluations that you want. You probably more than likely get the contract signed. So, my next <laughs> question is like, what hurdles have you hit? Like being being the smartest person or potentially the smartest person walking <laughs> in the room, what, what have you hit on your journey? Yeah, that's very kind of you to say that. I definitely don't feel like that sometimes when I go into some rooms, put it that way. Um, do you know what? Sometimes the way I think sometimes is a plus and a, and a minus, like a hindrance and a plus. Like when someone's going through ch- like a problem solving exercise in a room, so to speak, like you said, and I'm walking in there, I can quite often, I've found just through experience, get to what I think the end is pretty quickly. And that could be like 10 minutes into a three day workshop or something. And I'm sort of sitting there going, guys, this is where we're going to end up. But you've got to be really careful with how. Sometimes you say that because there's a whole process to go through where you're like working with team members and stuff creatively to get some form of like agreed end result. And I definitely found like that results in a lot of impatience for me, right? So like I've, I've got to like quite often say, I think this is where we're going to land up. Do you know what? I'm going to go through the process of this meeting or this workshop or whatever it might be. And really then I've had to educate myself, like place value on collectively, everybody voicing their views, everybody going through their process agreeing disagreeing whatever it might be to then actually get to whatever that end result will be and obviously i'm never 100 percent right but i would say quite often in my life like like i said if we're in like a workshop to try and come up with a solution to something we typically end up where i pretty much think we're going to so that's definitely one um i think like uh, just like you know the challenges of life right like trying to meet the right people as you go along the way not get read down the wrong path sometimes except you're like as you get older and as you get more experienced, you start to whittle out the people that are going to give you like really sound advice versus sometimes wrong advice and stuff like that. So, you know, in the earlier stages of like my business journey, I've definitely found sometimes I've fallen for the wrong advice and stuff like that. And sometimes you just get too much advice and you've just got to make a decision and you're thinking and go around and around in circles. So I've definitely like fallen trapped to that as well. But um, yeah, honestly, I don't often feel like I'm the smartest person in rooms and I, try not to go through thinking like that. I just think I've got like quite an innate um, ability to just get the results quite quickly, whatever they might be. Mm. Um, but like I said, making sure the process and the team feels really like they've come on that journey is by far my number one priority now. Cause I also realized like no team of one really succeeds, right? You need a group of people typically in a business or a startup to really get great results. So, I mean, I'm happy that you ended that sentence on, on startup. So, I mean, talking to you as like a founder or a CEO of essentially a startup, like there's always just two different types, right? There is like the tech guy that understands mm-hmm. the code, understands the development and dives into a startup. But you're on the other spectrum, like you understand the technology, but you're not a coder. So if, right. if you had to pick it all over again, would you like to become more of the coder or are you like kind of the spectrum that you are right now? I think the benefits of like being out of code. So say I could say I could code from scratch is like, well, this is this is in the perfect world. Like you have all the experience of like the product slash like the solution slash the subject matter expertise and the product knowledge, et cetera. 
to then be able to code it yourself. Like there is an amazing um, capability that I think very, very few people have, to be honest, in reality, but some people do where they like, they literally have it all and they can therefore build the first prototype by themselves, write the really complex algorithm or whatever it might be. And if you've got that, like that's the true magic, like number, so to speak, like that's the silver bullet. You can pretty much build like the first version of your product from scratch, et cetera. Very often the case is that you don't have both. So you're kind of really strong at one or the other. I think the benefit of having like, let's say the product knowledge, or I always call it subject matter expertise knowledge, like I had social media knowledge inside out, et cetera, is like you can paint this really big vision. Um, it's kind of easier to therefore bring people on that once you learn how to communicate it really well. You can typically engage with the investment community a little bit easier because you've got that kind of personal relationship um, and personal relationship building skills. Whereas typically if you're like into development and stuff like that, you're actually wanting to really focus on the code, craft the code, make sure it's really great, make sure it's obviously to a high standard, et cetera. And, you know, developers don't always love sitting in meetings and having to talk for two or three hours about X, Y, and Z. And I, I can say that from experience very confidently. So like, I don't think there's like a, a prefer. Mm -hmm. My personality definitely links more towards like, let's go bring the team together. Mm -hmm. Let's solve the problem. Let's think about how we can do this than sitting on a you know computer for a long, long period of time looking at code. I'm terrible at like math and math theory. So even when I started to learn like the basics of code, I, I and this was years ago, but like, I never appreciate how well, math math mathematically like heavy that whole practice is at the end of the day so when a couple of our developers were talking me through stuff i was like do you know what guys this is not my skill set i don't need to know half the stuff you're saying i don't even understand it i take my hat off to you like let's let's go and build and i'll um i'll go and find us some customers or something else or like go and do the product the product development side so but yeah if you've got both wow like that's that's amazing like you could you can you can like i said you can go all the way in terms of building the first version of the product getting funding getting customers with a really small team and so if um if you've got that it's definitely the magic dust yeah nice nice and i, I think i don't know if like we pre-scripted this or what but i mean you ended ended it on a perfect note about, about funding and like that kind of leads me to my, my next question is kind of like you have this six-step process this formula right and obviously mm -hmm. you raise capital many times over into the point to where you've actually cashed it out so mm -hmm. what is this six-step process that you have yeah so firstly like the first one is definitely the prep, it sounds really boring, but like knowing how to write the pitch deck, knowing how to write an FAQs for investors, um, working with, with like a financial director or something like that on the modeling, like how does the model look like? How does your five-year plan go from AY, AY, well, X, Y, and Z to X, Y, and B, or whatever it might be, like looking at those scenarios. So like taking time to prepare all of those materials up front and be really clear about how you're going to communicate the business, how you're going to tease it out to people. And then when they ask for like the full pack of information, here it is, it's ready to go. It's not like I've got, I've got to go away and make it like live. So preparing would be the first one. Um, the second one is like what I call the long and the short list. And again, anyone who's kind of ever out of race capital will know this. So like the long list is like, here's the big universe of investors that I need to go and speak to. And of this big universe, that might be you know, 500, 100, 200, whatever it might be. Like there might be typically the VC list you want to go after. The short list is then like in a perfect world, I'd like to get it down to this list. And again, that might be 20, that might be two in some instances, it depends, but really focusing on like that list and who they are. And then doing your research around that, you know, how am I going to pitch my business to this investor? How am I going to pitch my business to this investor? Because everything is slightly different depending on what they invest in. There's a broad story, but you've got to tailor it to the individual, particularly the person at the fund who you're going to go and pitch, not just the fund itself. Um, 
And then the doing, right? So it's like it's just like a sales process, like the outreach. You've got to then activate and have a really tight time frame as to how you're going to get in touch with all these people on the same day, or kind of give yourself two days to get all the emails out. Like you need a really focused activation plan. You then need your follow ups to make sure you're doing the consistent. Hey, have you seen this email? Love to book some time with you. Just double checking if it's a yes, it's a no. If it's a no, cool. But like really getting the engines going to say we're out raising capital. This is the business. This is the traction we've got. This is what the problem we're going to go and solve. This is the size of the market, et cetera, and really have that like engine going. So the market effectively responds. People do talk, you know, whether it's on a Zoom, bar, restaurant, coffees, forums, whatever it might be. Like once the VC community or even the angel investor community in your local town or whatever is aware of you, you're raising money, slowly that kind of sentiment starts to build. And if, you know, they'll, they'll then chat and say, this is a great business. I'm not sure about this. Have you thought about this? You know, they, you know just get the, get the conversations going, basically. And once you've got that, you start booking in your first meeting, second meetings, et cetera. And that really, I don't remember what step we're on, probably like we're going to end up at like seven steps, whatever. But once you've got the conversations going, you then need to really follow like quite a strict process on bringing people through that, that kind of investment funnel. So First meeting, give them the teaser content, have a really good answer to X, Y, and Z questions, but be prepared that you're not going to show everything in that first meeting because it's just too much information. Everyone's just fact-finding and trying to see whether this is a business we like, do we like you as a founder, whatever it might be. Then be really focused on the second meeting. You know, you're going to, if you've got a second meeting, it's a really good sign. But again, you want to tease out more information at that stage. The VC or the angel or whatever it might be will inevitably have more questions at that stage because they've gone away and thought about it. They've probably talked to partners and stuff like that. So having, again, a really clear, concise plan on that second meeting that you're willing to give away this information. And then when it gets to kind of third, fourth and beyond, like typically at that point, there's no guarantees of investment at that stage, but you're really kind of saying, I'm going to start dating you, so to speak. So sharing the financial model, perhaps you have a data room, which is like fully populated with content, like being being willing to share that level of detail about your business at that stage. Or in some um, cases, if you're a bit more experienced, perhaps you have track record, you might say, hey, I'm not doing a third meeting with you or sharing anything else until you give me a term sheet. Because I know a term sheet's not legally binding. I know that you can take it away at any point and I won't sign it anyway. You don't have to sign it either. I just want to see that if you were going to invest on based on everything you've heard so far, give me that term sheet. Because they have to go through a process, even though they're not legally binding at all, that they're going to get a term sheet out to this business. And this is what I would do. So you're like, if they've given you a term sheet, they're taking it very seriously. If they say, we can't send you a term sheet unless we've seen all this stuff, well, then you kind of have to sniff out whether they're serious or not. Um, and then really it's like, the process of kind of almost getting to signing that, that document so again that's that's a phase of like backwards and forwards q a answering lots of questions and this all happens over a number of like months so back to your start like how do i run this process six months maximum like ideally four you have a start and you have a finish date and if they miss the finish date they miss the finish date so there's no like i'll extend the round for another three months unless you really need to it's like the round is closing on this day you've got to be in around and actually to be honest by that point you really got to be in because you're going to get closer to that so Go through all of that. And then once you've signed that term sheet, typically, obviously, you enter what's called an exclusivity period. So you can't talk to any other investors anyway. You've signed up to the terms that you think are great, obviously, or you think you're the best you can get. You're working with that VC. You're really happy to go down that journey with them. And then it's a case of just getting to close, going through the due diligence process, et cetera. And to be honest, unless you've like literally lied or done something wrong at that stage, that, this is what I would call stage six, it's just the closing process. Here's everything you need to see. Here's all the legal stuff. Let's do that in kind of three weeks or whatever it might be. And then we sign and get the cash and off we go. So that's probably more than six steps. I haven't got it concisely down to each point, but 
my main thing is like have a timeline, have a deadline, make sure you're really aware of each step along the way. Communication is key um, and having great documentation, you know, having really solid documentation that you're really proud to put out there to the investment community. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, I think the analogy about, about dating, it seems like you're speed dating. And then once you kind of figure out maybe just two or three possibilities and OK, I'm going to find this one person. OK, I'm going to marry this person. You can do my due diligence and we're going to sign this marriage contract and then we're going to mm-hmm. move forward. That's, that's exactly what it sounded like. I mean, just based upon the way you're, you're spinning it out. Uh, every time I have that conversation, that's exactly the analogy like everybody uses, because it, it literally is that process basically condensed as well. into like a really short space of time. Very, very cool. So let's just talk about like like this, this 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 entire journey, right? I mean, you were talking about as a twelve year old, you always had the hustle mentality. You know, you went to university. You've been, you know, you did a lot of different things. I mean, starting essentially with social media in, in the early two thousands. But on this journey, this twenty, this say twenty years, like you know, what's one thing that you can do differently if you can kind of go back in time and do it all over again? Um, I'll tell you one thing I did, which if I could change, and this is, I get, I get a lot of messages funny enough about this with slightly younger entrepreneurs and stuff. So I started a services business, so an agency first, and it was great business. You know, we were profitable. We were running really well. We had like good operations, good team, good processes, and we were doing content and ads and digital websites and all that kind of stuff designed for clients. So we were doing the work basically. And it was an amazing like experience for business. There was no capital raise, you know, like you can rate, you can run those businesses just as an individual first as a freelancer, then turn them into agencies, funding them through profits and stuff. So like, it's a great fun and really good business to get up running, especially as your first company, because uh, it kind of carries not no risk, but much than a risk in going out and raising capital and all that good stuff. I then started Content Cal almost off the back of my agency um, as a side project initially first, totally separate business, totally separate funding model, et cetera, but was running both at the same time. I was like, if Elon Musk can do it, of course I can do it. <laughs> Not realizing the complexity, even at a tiny scale of running two businesses, let alone that guy is running like seven or something like that. But like running two things at the same time is not easy. And you've got two separate teams. You've got two separate cultures, even though you're kind of tackling similar problems like agency businesses and software companies culturally run very, very differently. The type of people want to work for two different organizations, et cetera. So I would go back, well, eventually I merged them. There was a whole process of going through that, which I went for you with, but like, it was really like difficult basically to get those two things together and then turn them into one culture, one business and run them again. But even though they're complimentary, like I said, I would go back and I would say, do you know what, Alex, 25 year old, however old I was, don't do both things at once. Like whatever you're going to do in your business life, like really focus on just that one thing because it gives you a hundred percent clarity. You can align everybody behind it. Your own mentality is constantly aligned by that one thing as well. And it's a way smoother journey and process to run. And like I said, I get a lot of messages from people going, I'm running an agency. I've seen your story or something like that. And they're like, I really want to start a SaaS business or I'm thinking about this product. And my advice is always like, either sell your agency, then do it, or maybe run them like parallel for a little bit, but really have a plan to separate at some point because you're never going to be able to do both. Um, or keep your agency and maybe make it slightly tech enabled and don't do a full SaaS business, like kind of incorporate that technology properly into the agency business model. So regardless of like whether it's agency or SaaS or other way around or whatever it might be, like my main thing would be have one clear focus, solve one big problem and then 100% go for it. Don't have any distractions like from a business perspective on the way because um, you're not Elon Musk and not many people are and uh, you will get a better result basically by focusing and also have a personal like a personally easier journey trying to think about one thing than two or three things at the same time. 
So, I mean, that's pretty interesting. I mean, obviously, you talk about this overlap between this. I mean, you talk about a SaaS platform that could essentially support what you were doing in your agency. So, wouldn't you think that they would feed each other? You would get clients that you would do services for and then roll them into your SaaS platform? You didn't think that that was a good customer journey, per se? So, we did have customers like that, funnily enough, like quite a few as well. So, we, you know, all of our agency customers, for example, were customers of the software platform and they loved it because it made life 10 times easier for the work to happen. And our team loved it because it made life 10 times easier for them doing the work. What you effectively realized was as we started to acquire like pure SaaS companies, like as just SaaS clients, the gross margins are different. The way you have to service them is different. Um, as we were getting more and more traction, we were thinking, okay, this is a good distraction. So, it was a bit of a distraction from running the agency, but it was becoming very clear that there was scale and massive opportunity in building like a very pure SaaS business. And then when you look at the financials, just as a PL level and like just future valuations for raising capital and stuff like that, you know, SaaS companies or software companies have like 80 to 90% gross margins. Obviously, service businesses have nowhere near that. Um, and then when it comes to, like I said, raising capital and stuff, having that concise story that then links into those types of financials and that type of business model as opposed to something split is very, very difficult. That said, you know, if we decided to say, forget raising loads of money, um, actually we can build like a tech enabled services business, like you say, that had like proper service clients and then the SaaS stuff was laid on top. We could have gone down that route. Um, but that, you know, I, I, you could just see with our traction, we were getting like, there was too good of an opportunity to kind of say this SaaS thing, this content help, product it's got real substantial legs to scale we've got to go for it and i think it was such a tough decision to make that because you know then you have to start going on the journey of figuring out the path to actually go from like a combined business to just one but um again i think if you've got the opportunity and it seems like you've got something that could scale you'd be doing yourself a disservice to potentially not basically so yeah don't look back and regret it that's for sure but um I think there's definitely a, a parallel universe out there where that happened. You know, there's a tech, you know, there's a tech enabled services business or something like that going on. Very, very cool. So, I mean, that, that leads me to like another question. I mean, obviously you created a content platform that has automation, it has integration, or like, and you, you made it not at the dawn of those platforms timeframe, right? I mean, mm. we have Hootsuite and, you know, we have IFTTT and Zapier and all these are different levels of integration, different level of automation. Mm -hmm. So like, how did you like, like, I mean, first of all, like what gave you the balls to say, okay, you know what? I am going to jump into this space right now, considering mm -hmm. that these platforms were pretty stable and not only were they stable, but you came in and then you got acquired by Adobe. Like <laughs> what the heck? Tell me, yeah, I, I, I didn't understand that. it. Yeah. So, so the, it's really, you know, it takes me like almost like to take a step out of my own body to answer this question because sometimes even I think like, what the hell was I doing? <laughs> but I think the key thing was when I was in those corporate roles, this was a good few years ago, looking at the products that were available, like Hootsuite, like Buffer, which are all amazing businesses and amazing products. The key thing that they didn't have was a calendar, which sounds so simple now, but like, I'd have to build, and this was a very normal process amongst all my social media management, like peers and stuff like that, that I knew in London and across the world, actually, when you read blogs and stuff like, you'd have to build these huge calendars in Excel normally. And they would have, you know, tags for different types of categories you were posting content for. They would have themes of different kind of content for different days. You would like manually have to create um, what we call calendar event days, you know, like national this day or whatever it might be, this holiday, et cetera. So like, Manually, you would have to spend hours, often actually weeks, to be honest, when you start putting the time together of like building this content calendar. And then behind that process, you've got to then fill it with content every single week or every single month. 
that might be you that might be you plus a designer plus a videographer plus 10 other writers mm-hmm. then a big business is you then have to show i mean in one instance i think we had to show like 25 people this content calendar in one of the companies i worked at because they had a really thorough process it was a publicly traded business they're like we're not putting anything out on social media that hasn't been checked by this this and this person um and so like the complexity of this to me was the problem it wasn't the scheduling or the ability to like, automate getting content to a facebook or a twitter or an instagram it was this massive like planning and visualization of content and process which just didn't have a customized software for so my view was if i can build that bit and I can absolutely like nail that experience, which is actually as a social media manager, where I spend weeks, like I said, months of my time and scheduling really is the byproduct, you know, being able to get posted into different networks automatically was kind of more of a value add right at the end of the process. I was like, I think that has legs. And to me, that was the problem I was solving. Hence the name Content Cal, it's just sort of a content calendar. That was like our original name when we launched. Like, so we built that. And that's what I felt like we could like compete on there's always a time frame to how long you can have that experience in the market before the other guys come and build them, which they all did eventually, which makes perfect sense because that's how social media was maturing. Um, and that's where we basically had, I would say, and I'd still say actually like the best experience, right? I don't think there is a better content calendar on the market genuinely than content cal right now. And then what we're building with Adobe as well. So like we solve that problem and we solve it really, really well. We do the scheduling, we do analytics, we do all the stuff that the other guys do as well. But to me, that was where the problem was. So like, that was where I felt like I could play. That's where I felt like we could be really good. And as you said, like obviously being acquired by Adobe, I think they thought that too. So, but that's also my, you go back to my, like, you got me off on like a subject now, but like it's deep subject matter expertise, right? Like I knew that as a social media manager, it was going to get more complicated, not less to produce content for these channels and to get everybody in your business aligned with you doing that. It's not going to get easier because the social media has got bigger there's been more channels to publish on now we've got tiktok and i'm sure there'll be something else in a few months time kind of thing like the whole process is so so complicated Mm. and so again to do that well it's the process bit that needs managing not just the automation of posts to different channels so like yeah i think that's what gave me the opportunity and that you can tell even now like i'm super confident that that experience and solving that problem is something even now i could go back and re-engineer and do again or whatever it might be but like that's where i think there's like there was room to play and, and you know it was evidence by what happened obviously with the business getting purchased as well getting acquired yeah definitely definitely so i mean with that insight right i mean obviously that's not something that you just wake up on a random tuesday and just know these things are going to happen right so kind of let's talk about like your upbringing a little bit more like do you come from an entrepreneurial background like I, I, and, and if i have to guess i would say you had to to be able to have some insights that you have currently right now correct me if i'm wrong no no pretty good guess like so i'm my mum is one of six and so within that six um there's probably two people who are either married to entrepreneurs or are entrepreneurs i can never do the math i can never remember who's who but like i was very exposed to suppose some entrepreneurial characters quite young um my dad's entrepreneurial he's not what i would call an entrepreneur but he's very entrepreneurial like he knows how to buy something here and sell it here kind of thing so that was always like kind of embedded into my mind at young age and there was some exposure to that but yeah i would say from the age of 16 onwards especially like i was very exposed to business and i clearly like just naturally had like a really keen interest in it and i would seek out people that could like educate me more around it or i could ask questions and simple things right when you're young you're going to do work experience somewhere and actually you take you know you suddenly realize like money's not everything by any stretch of the imagination but it's quite fun if you like the concept of building something to then sell it and you know build a business off the back of so yeah, you, you've basically predicted, right, like I was exposed to business really young and had a 
like an interest in it and that's like a match made in heaven for someone who's young right like yeah. i'm really interested in this i've got access to people and knowledge etc it's just like you know, off i go kind of thing so and i haven't lost my passion for that i think that's the funniest thing about like going through the process of business running a business is exhausting and mentally challenging all that stuff but as soon as i find another entrepreneur now that like, i don't even want to invest in or work with and I, I can sense like i said that energy it just feeds me you know and i just i just love it so yeah i think you you've, you've called it right i've had a lot of exposure to kind of that entrepreneurial world quite young and it's carried me through to kind of my later years nice nice so i mean talking about feeding and feeding into things right i mean obviously being a successful entrepreneur you have to feed your mind you have to feed your body you, you have to feed you know generally these different things and and that comes down mm -hmm. to like your routines and your habits so let's talk about like what does your morning routines look like changed recently and actually like funnily enough changed a lot through covid um my morning routines on a normal day let's say is early like i get up early i'm an early riser typically wake up at six i don't necessarily jump straight out of bed and hop on the treadmill or whatever it might be which i probably should but like i, I wake up early um back in i can then you know sometimes i'll just get out and go for a walk sometimes we'll go to the gym i don't have like a fixed what i would say workout regime that underpins my life, which is something I'm trying to build on much more now. Uh, now I've got a little bit more free time. Um, but like I would typically then, I've always had this thing probably for about five, six years, like tackle the hardest thing that I've got to do in my day first, because once you've had your coffee and kind of you've woken up and stuff like, that could be writing a document, that could be planning for a big call, that could be doing a presentation. But like typically when, especially in the early days of content help, I would do the toughest task right really early, start there like 6.30, 7 o'clock. So it's done by eight or nine, you know, and then you've got the whole day ahead. Um, big fan of like, also like at the same time in the morning, like consuming stuff, whatever that might be, like might be reading for like half an hour, that might be reading for 15 minutes, that might be like, I used to read this thing, um, this book called The Daily Stoic, which was a page a day about stoicism, which I loved. So like trying to almost balance like that output of tasks, like doing something with also just like feeding my mind with a little bit of information for the day, just to balance out like the kind of, the way you're kind of like i said nurturing nurturing your mind really in the morning um and then lots of coffee basically like just lots of lots of good wake-up juice <laughs> so there's no there's no like i said like you know wake up at 5 30 hit the treadmill at this time then i have a coffee then i do this then you know it's not really that like my main things with building blocks do the toughest thing and i still do that now the day first and uh and yeah feed my mind with a little bit of learning of the day and it doesn't have to be anything intense i could be reading a couple of pages of a book just to just to you know, exercise the mind basically, and then off you went, kind of thing. So on the bandwagon of books, and I mean, we, we, I think you brought up a couple of books throughout this entire interview so far. So like, this next question is like, mm. uh, talking about three separate books, right? The first book I want you to kind of bring to mind is what book helped you to get to where you are. What book kind of put you in that state of mind on your journey to get you to where you are currently right now? Mm hmm. Hmm. Picking a book for that one. There's quite a few of that one. There's there's quite a few I could I could go through, but I'm going to do one which is left of field because it's not one that many people reference like in podcasts and stuff so arnold schwarzenegger's book total recall is a phenomenal autobiography on this guy's life and it really fundamentally taught me that life is a series of steps to get to a goal and it's like hard work hard grind every step is incremental but that is how you get to x y and z so like Arnold Schwarzenegger is this guy, obviously I think it's Vienna where he grew up and he's like lived in different countries in Europe and then went to America, became the biggest movie star, the biggest weightlifting guy, et cetera. But when you read his journey, he was like, I set very clear intentions to go and do this stuff. Like none of this was by accident. He was like, I'm gonna be Mr. Olympia. I'm gonna be the highest paid movie star, the best known movie star in, in the world, blah, blah, blah. 
and then like literally grinded every single day to make it happen. And I picked that one because it's left of field because actually I feel like that's similar to life in a way. Like I can resonate a lot with it. Like none of the stuff that has happened to me, even though there's obviously some stuff that by chance and by luck, there's all that stuff thrown in. But like I've been very purpose driven about build a business. Like you said, it was built for sale in the first instance. Doesn't mean you're guaranteed to sell, but it was all built for that like intention. So big believer in setting those intentions and then delivering on them every single day every single day as a step forward. And um, that's really set a good grounding for like anything I do really in the rest of my life. Very nice, very nice. So, I mean, obviously you talked about these 50 audio books, right? So like what 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 of those 50 or maybe two or three of them are you reading right now that has given you a lot of value today? Mm. Do you know what, rather than like the individual books, because I've got to have to, you know, I'm listening to like five at the same time, so I try and remember them. But one, one thing that I found really interesting listening to audiobooks, like, like Barack Obama's um, book, and um, there's a couple of politicians here in the UK. This is really random. Like, I'm not really into politics, but again, you go to like some of these individuals' journeys throughout their lives, and even like get, getting elected in any country through like a democratic process is obviously very complicated. Whether it's that, whether it's like a business audiobook or something like that, or, or even like some silly things like I've um, listened to a lot of comedians books. There's a guy in the UK called Jimmy Carr because they're funny, they're lightweight, but often they're kind of geared around their life journeys and overcoming, you know, being a nobody to being a really famous comedian or whatever it might be. They're just really interesting journeys to go around again, back to that intention piece, like being really purpose driven, what you want to achieve in your life professionally and personally. And then putting that work in to get there every single day, measuring yourself, having a little structure for that, et cetera. You realize, well, certainly what I realize, other than like pure talent, whether that's like comedic talent, act, acting talent, musician talent, et cetera, they all have this one thing shared, which is really hard work. <laughs> like really, really taking that stuff seriously. And like I said, being very purpose-driven into what you want to achieve, politics, music, TV, et cetera. So that's just been something across every book i've read or like audio book i've listened to where if you're looking at someone who's like top of their game there's a shared value and a shared principle that everybody has and um almost reminds you of that you know that you've got to keep doing that if you want to achieve whatever it is next in your life be it personal or professional goal i mean so you're talking about professional goals and i would think obviously you've had a hell of a lot of accomplishments on your particular journey and i'm not to saying that you are at the tipping point to where now you're on that upward climb but where do you see what you're doing right now 20 years from now 20 years from now wow so i mean probably two or three things like i like solving problems so macro level that might be probably this is where i think i'm going to go like more investing in businesses and advising them to get from one stage to the next i think if you're an entrepreneur and you've gone through a journey, you almost have a duty to give some people that you want to work with or you're working with. I don't say the cheat codes, but that seems to be a phrase I'm using a lot. But some of the, like the cheat codes to, to kind of skip a level. I always think of it like a video game, basically, like you're trying to complete a video game. If you want to go from A to B, what are those cheat codes that you can do to help you through that system, help you through that process? Not to cheat, but to basically, like I said, let's get back to one of my themes, like get to the outcome in the fastest and easiest way possible. Because... Why, why do it in the way that's longest and hardest? You, don't, you shouldn't need to do that. Like there are ways to get around these things. There are experiences people can share to help you do things faster or better or quicker, whatever it might be. So like, I'd love to still be doing that in 20 years time, you know, whether that's for something that I'm working on or whether that's me working with others, like really unlocking like just success for people, to be honest. Um, and that could, like I said, that could be professional, that could be personal. I'd love to see where technology goes in 20 years. I mean, that's impossible to predict, right? I mean, who knows like where that stuff lands, whether that's like software, hardware, anything. I think 
the pace of change that we've seen for the last 20, 30 years. It's, it'd be really interesting to see like what the pace of change is going forward because I think there's only so many new iPhones that can come out and stuff like that. But like, you know, quantum computing or how you know technology can be used in healthcare and stuff like that. There's just so much exciting stuff to come, and I'm like an eternal optimist. So um, yeah, all that kind of stuff, and you know, throwing all that into the mix, working in tech, but solving, you know, using technology to solve problems is just a phenomenal like industry to work in, I think. And so hopefully I'll still be doing that in 20 years. Maybe a little bit of relaxation as well every now and again. <laughs> well, hopefully so, right? I mean, so you're talking about like technology, right? So, I mean, this question, I mean, you're into SaaS platforms. You're, you're working with Adobe right now. So what kind of tech stacks do you have? Like what, what is your core, maybe three or four software that you do on a day-to-day -day basis that you would not be able to do what you're doing without having access to? Uh, for me personally, that's a really good question. So a really good notes app, like I just use Apple notes and I have it set up in a very, very specific way, but like notes is really, really important because I write everything down. I'm a big like planner. I don't really leave like anything in my mind. I prefer to have everything written out. So really solid notes app would be what well, first thing for like having to do's, but also just like getting stuff out of your head and onto paper. Um, simple one email like i still use email but i use it very purposefully so i don't send like short messages or like messages that should be sent like on slack or something like that or through any messaging service i use email for like i want to send a specific message to land on this person's desk at this specific time and it's really driven for a purpose and that might be because i want them to action it straight away it might be because I want them to see it when they wake up. It might be because actually I know that they're not going to get to this. And if I put it in Slack, it's just going to get lost. So like super simple, but email is still like a great tool. Um, and, and learning how to use email is really important, like how to use it tactically rather than just sending stuff off for the sake of it. And I'll tell you what, the final one attached to all of that is Grammarly. Like Grammarly has changed my life. And um, when I discovered it, someone mentioned it to me. They're like, you, should, you know, you, you have to write a lot in your job. I have to write a lot of stuff, whether that's team updates or emails, whatever it might be. Like, why don't you learn how to write really, really well? And I started using this product and I was like, this just changed the game. Like I suddenly sound like I know what I'm talking about finally and I can get my ideas out on paper and it doesn't sound like a ramble. So um, Grammarly has been amazing for me. Now I just, it's like automatically running in the background for everything. And yeah, I would honestly say, it's, I've never been asked that this question. That's what I'm kind of thinking out loud. But like, that has made a huge difference to how I'm interpreted. And you always have to remember, obviously, how you're interpreting, how people are going to interpret your message and stuff. So, yeah, it's definitely changed the game for me. Wow. wow. So, I mean, this brings me to the elephant in the room, right? Like, and this, this is a question that maybe you've asked before, but I, I, every entrepreneur wants to know what the emotional thing is when you get nine figures deposited into your damn bank account. Like, I wouldn't like, I, mean, I, I want to know, I want you to paint the picture. Like, were you on the bathroom? Were you screaming? Did you jump <laughs> the streets butt naked? Like, what happened the moment that you checked your account and you saw the nine figures? Man? Yeah, so the funny thing is you don't check your account and see that. There's a whole process for that with, like, lawyers and stuff. But you obviously, you do get paid. Like, obviously, that's, uh, all of that wasn't fine. Like, our deal, like, you know, shareholders and investors and stuff. But regardless, I know what you mean by, like, your question. So, like, it's so strange to describe. It's, um... It's it's anticlimactical, but it's not because, like you said, you could be doing anything at the time that that actually happens. I was on a Zoom call with the team, and then I was like, "Oh, holy shit, this has like happened!" And then you get off your Zoom call, and then you're like, "Oh my god, what do I do now?" Basically, so like, I would say emotionally and like through your head, it's like it's like everything changes, but nothing changes. That's kind of the way I would phrase it. So like, financially, your world has definitely changed. You might be able to go out and buy a Lambo if that's your thing straight away or whatever it might be, which my friends kept on saying to me, like, buy a Lambo. 
I was like, I'm not that into cars, guys. I'm not going to go out buy a Lambo plus I don't want to be that guy. But um, like everything changes, but nothing changes. That's that's been my, my common word I've been using recently. So you can now do a lot of different stuff. You can go and get the house upgrade or whatever it might be you want to do. And you will, you know, you've got to plan all that stuff relevant, relative to your life. Um, but also nothing changes because you still got to eat, you still got to sleep, you still got to exercise, you still got to take care of yourself, you still got to go to work. Like I wouldn't just sit down and retire or anything like that. Like you still got to go and turn up. And so like on that basis, nothing changes because actually day to day, you still literally have to act basically exactly the same way and do all the same normal stuff everybody else does and change you as a person. Um, and I think that's the main thing. I, th I think if I'm honest, like the big thing for anybody trying to go through that process or coming up to that process or whatever it might be about to sell their business, like getting good advice and being really grounded is just so important because you can, it's stressful selling a business and it's stressful going through the process. And you, you know, you can, any form of cash and money and big change in that kind of part of your life can send some people crazy and it does nothing to some people at the end of the day. And like, there's always a middle ground as well. So just be really prepared as an individual. And it is a change that is, um, it's hard to articulate, you know, like it's, it's an experience you go through and then everybody reacts slightly differently, but you know, of course, I went out and celebrated with friends, family, all the stuff you'd expect, a little bit craziness here and there. There's nothing wrong with that. And um, and then my thing was grounding back in work, you know. You know, Adobe, I'm working with those guys now. I'm loving it. It's a great experience. We've already done an integration with them already, which has been so, like, amazing to get Content Cow's platform into, like, some of Adobe's tech stack and stuff like that. So, like, I really ground myself back in work. I'm like, I'm here to do some more good stuff. I'm not done yet, you know. So, yeah, it's a total mix of emotions, though. It is. It's a crazy journey. So, I mean, you didn't get the Lambo, but you got a beaver, <laughs> didn't you? You got like a SUV beaver? Tesla. Yeah. No, okay. that beaver, that was that was a rental. That one. Yeah, everyone's messaged me about it on LinkedIn. Uh, I was in America last week for vacation, traveling, and rented a giant BMW and drove around. That was so much fun. Did the drive from LA to Vegas, which was yeah, good fun in a big car, but. No, I got a Tesla. That was my my treat to myself. Gotcha. Well, I mean, you brought up Elon, so it only makes sense, right? Logically. Yep. Yeah. So let's just talk about like final words of wisdom, right? I mean, obviously, you're talking about the deposit in your bank account. You're talking about your journey. You're talking about going from content creation to SaaS platform development and then selling this thing. If 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 I'm an entrepreneur and I'm developing some product, if I'm developing some service and I'm listening to you, what words of inspiration do you want to deliver to me? hire the best people or bring the best people in to work with like once you've got your focus you've got your goal you you really like thought things through and you're going to go on this business journey this product journey whatever it might be um and you've got the vision etc etc and you're ready to go like find the best people possible to go on that journey with that are just as driven as you are you know really bought into your vision and mission want to do great work and fundamentally you can have some fun with obviously along the way like you you're going to be you're going to be in the trenches day in day out for hours and hours and hours you've got to be able to go out and have some fun with them as well and have a laugh as you're doing it so like that would be my biggest thing like the journey of actually doing this is a shared experience of people fundamentally and i we have and have had some amazing people work at content cow and they're my memories you know my memories are not building this and releasing it and doing this and that like obviously i remember those but my memories are also like we went out for drinks and celebrated or we did something really stupid and all laughed at ourselves at the end of it whatever it might be like those are the memories that actually stick with you for life so like once you've got everything like i said the kind of core ingredients bring some fundamentally great people into the to the to the process with you and then and then just go for it and have fun and work really hard and uh yeah you'll just get a great like life experience out of building a business wow so, I mean, with those final words of wisdom, right? I mean, how does someone find you on the internet? I mean, do you have a particular web page you want to send them to, your social media accounts? 
Yeah, so I'm alexpackham.com for a website. It's just a basic holding page for that. But I'm, I'm pretty much Alex Packham on everything. Twitter, um, I use Instagram a lot. TikTok, I think I'm AST Packham, but you could probably put an Alex Packham and I'll come up like I'm posting loads of stuff on there. But just put my name in. Um, I love messaging and engaging with people. Love meeting new people, even if it's online or face-to-face or whatever it might be. But yeah, just trying to share, trying to share actually day-to-day, like enough like interesting content without t- tucking tons of stuff out there, but stuff that's really useful and like, again, go back to this like cheat code theme. I think that's where a lot of my content is like trying to give people some of the experiences I've been through and just share that love and share that knowledge so people can apply it in their day-to-day lives, definitely. Nice, nice. So that then leads us to the bonus round. I mean, I got a couple of bonus questions for you and I think you're gonna have some really cool answers. So the first one is like, <laughs> like my signature question, right? If you could spend 24 hours with anyone, that person could be dead or alive, uninterrupted for that 24 hours, who would it be and why? Oh. I think I've mentioned his name enough on this podcast. It probably would be Elon, Mike, Elon Musk. I just think the guy has done a lot. At, I would still say like a pretty young age and is clearly not done yet. And he seems well, obviously incredibly intelligent, but in some strange ways also super down to earth, has revolutionized like a number of industries. But the one obviously he's doing now with Tesla um, and all the other kind of stuff associated to that. To me, thinking like he thinks, these things have all got to be intertwined, like boring company, Tesla, I always forget what all the other ones are as well, but like they're all intertwined in some way, shape or form. And to me, I'd love to understand like, is that the case? Are you thinking like that? You know, they may be run separately because they need to, but do they all kind of serve this higher purpose, this higher mission? And then how do you just do what you do? You know, how do you actually get it done? So I'd, I'd just love to uh, spend a day with him and learn as much as possible. Yeah, every time I look at Elon, I was like, Elon has to be on the spectrum because he can see things that the average person cannot see or comprehend by all means. Like so, I mean, that kind of I, I was expecting you to say more so your man crush Gordon. So I, I want you to kind of talk about Gordon Ramsay a little bit. I mean, obviously you're, you're a beauty, <laughs> so like I, I was expecting you to say Gordon, but you didn't. So let's talk about like how, uh, why Gordon so. of all people is your man crush. Uh, that's so funny. I just think, again, going back to like what he's achieved in that chefing world. Firstly, I love to cook, right? So there's no like, it's not that weird. Like I love cooking. I think that um, when you combine like a passion for cooking, it's fun, it's experimental, etc. His style of presenting is firstly, nowadays it's it's kind of funny, right? Like his like rage and anger and all that kind of stuff is, is just quite funny to watch in some instances. And so his programs are great. But if you actually follow the guy's journey from like growing up in Scotland with literally nothing, there's this show called Boiling Point here in the UK that he did years ago as the first one where he was super serious on this show. It was nothing like the kind of comical version or like the perfected version you see of him on the screen now. And he's clearly just been on this like phenomenal journey. And when you boil it down, the guy's a professional chef. Like, how do you go from that in like Glasgow, Scotland, I think is where he grew up, like I said, down to London and then across the world and become like a phenomenal global brand? Um, and he seems to be also having fun along the way. Who knows if he is, but I would love to meet him and have dinner with him. But like, that's so funny you say that. Like, yeah, again, I just think when you look back to like him, what he did and some of the people and books and stuff I've been referencing, like grinding every day, getting it done, working, et cetera, you don't get to where you are without that and um, combine it with the cooking passion. Yeah. Uh, and I'd love to meet him. <laughs> nice. Nice. Um, another question for you. Um, with all the achievements, I mean, obviously the, the nine-figure thing is a hell of an achievement for any entrepreneur. But what, to you personally, is your most significant achievement to date? Um, what is my most significant achievement to date? Do you know what? To be honest, it, it is the content called journey. I would say, especially professionally, um, and and also the peripherals that come off the back of that, like 
you tell you how to take a step back. Like I, I planned to grow and sell a business. I had no idea where, if it was going to happen or when, but the fact that it's happened is like, just for me, like I feel really proud of just going through that experience. But then you combine like Adobe buying us, being in the space, you know, it's a huge, huge like industry move. It just feels something I'm really proud to be part of and, and be like obviously a really key part of having started it from scratch. Yeah. Um, and so I think it is, but then off the back of that, it kind of, like I said, puts life into a different trajectory. And then suddenly you realize what really matters, health, family, friends, all that stuff. So like, despite like working really hard and putting everything secondary for most of my adult life, it feels like it suddenly puts everything back in perspective. So I'm really thankful for like, the experience I've gone through and the experience is yet to come, you know, but like that achievement, I still feel every day like, wow, how did that happen kind of thing? Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it's one of those things I think, and like until you become like Elon to where it happens on a regular basis. <laughs> yeah. Like, every time, yeah. first three times it happens, you probably just be like, wow. So that, that leads <laughs> me to like, as a podcaster, I, like, I love to give the opportunity to whoever I'm interviewing an opportunity to ask me any questions that may have come up. So like, this is how I close out my show. So now you are the host of Boston Cage Podcast, and now I'm your guest. What questions do you have for me? Uh, what gets you up every day? What gets you to do what you do? What drives you? It's twofold. I mean, one fold is getting an opportunity to interview individuals like you. I mean, you got to think about like 10, 15 years ago, would I have been in this space right now? No, because I wasn't in this space. But now that I'm in this space and I have the opportunity to interview people like you day to day after day, that's one of my inspirations that I wake up. I wake up with the intent like this morning, I woke up and I'm like, okay, I'm interviewing Alex and I'm, I'm looking at some of your videos. I'm looking at some of your content. I'm looking at your bio and I'm just like formulating the story we're going to be able to tell right now. So that's one of the things that fuel me. I wake up on average right now, 2.30 in the morning to kind of just get rolling wow. and by six o'clock it's like okay everyone else may be waking up now and then by nine o'clock i already pretty much damn near done eight hours right so that that, that, that that's what fuels me every single day amazing wow what's your i got to follow up with one more then what's your morning routine at 2 a.m till 6 like oh man so two o'clock when i usually wake up it's kind of like i'll go to the bathroom and, and i'll either <laughs> listen to audiobook podcast and i'll play that for a little bit then i'll you because everyone's usually sleeping so i'll usually go to the, the the other end of the house in the living room where nobody else is there you know i'll put the tv on in the background and then i automatically start pre-sending out my emails so i'll send out emails usually 24 hours in advance so that way mm. I'm not going to get bothered for the next 24 hours from that individual person. So I set that up, send it out with a timer to go out 24 hours from now, mm. make sure everything Smart. that's on my list and my agenda is set. And then I focus on what I want to focus on. Like if I'm focusing on a new course or I'm focusing on a new speech I got coming up, that's what I focus on in, in that early morning. Love that. No distractions, I guess, at that time as well at all. So that you get so much done. Love it. Zero distractions. There's no dogs barking. There's no even birds chirping at that time. <laughs> People are just coming in from nights out. <laughs> well, I mean, I definitely appreciate you. I think you brought a hell of a lot of value, a lot of insight. I mean, the fact that you, you know, gave so much different content about your story and how, how you got to this nine figures is, is a wonderful thing. And I, and I definitely commend you for being more than willing to give this to the audience. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Great to chat to you. Great. S.A. Grant, over and out. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Boss Uncaged. I hope you got some helpful insight and clarity to the diverse approach on your journey to becoming an Uncaged Trailblazer. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast. If this podcast has helped you or you have any additional questions, reach out and let me know. Email me at ask at sagrant.com or drop me your thoughts via a call or text at 762 Two three three boss. 
That's 762-233-2677. I would love to hear from you. Remember, to become a boss in cage, you have to release your inner beast. S.A. Grant, signing off. Listeners of Boss on Cage are invited to download a free copy of our host, S.A. Grant's insightful ebook, Become an Uncaged Trailblazer. Learn how to release your primal success in 15 minutes a day. Download now at www.bossuncaged.com forward slash free book.